Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Steph Nugebauer, your usual host. Today, though, I have something special for you. We're doing a host takeover, and my husband, Pastor Kirk Nugebauer, or as I just call him, Kirk, will be taking over as your host today. You might remember episode 23, where I was joined by Kyla Rodriguez to talk about friendship, particularly from a female perspective. And as promised, today we bring you the male counterpart to that conversation. That's why in just a minute, I'm going to duck out and give the floor to the guys. But ladies, lest you think this episode isn't for you, I hope you'll reconsider This conversation isn't for men's ears only. In fact, I think it will be a great window into the lives of the men around you and their need for friendship, too. So if you have a brother, a husband, a son, I encourage you to take a listen, because I do believe a woman's role will come up in this conversation. Welcome, everyone, to the Friends for Life podcast. I am your guest host for today, Kirk Nugebauer, pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Paragold, Arkansas, but probably better known to this audience as a husband of the regular host of the Friends for Life podcast, Steph Nugebauer. And I think I have to take it as a compliment that she thinks I must have at least a few friends because she is lending me the microphone today in order to talk about friendship, specifically male friendship. And joining me for this conversation is pastor and author, Reverend Jeffrey Hemmer. Reverend Hemmer is the assistant to the president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He serves as pastor of Bethany Evangelical Lutheran Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois. He's author of the book titled Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity, and currently is working on his PhD at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. On top of all that, he's also the husband of, in his own words, the most wonderful woman in the world, congratulations, and is the father of eight children, one whom is just about to join the family in a new way as the delivery date for child number eight is just around the corner. So Jeff, I have to ask you, who is more challenging to assist, the president of a church body with millions of members across the globe or assisting your wonderful wife with the seven soon-to-be eight little children who are running around your house? Well, that is never a question that I've uh, contemplated before. They're, they're both both very challenging, uh, but in, in quite different ways. So I'm, I'm privileged to serve in, in both of those capacities. Yes, yes. Well, first of all, I, I do want to say, I think you're the right guy for this episode, because aside from touching a little bit on the subject in your book, Man Up, anyone who can find the time for friends with all the different roles and responsibilities that you have can probably teach us something about the challenge of both making and maintaining friendships today. For our listeners, before we begin, I believe Steph said that she has covered a little bit of defining friendship in episode 23 of the Friends for Life podcast. So I encourage you to listen to that. But since the ladies did the heavy lifting, that means that we get to maybe jump in a little bit deeper to the subject of male friendship. So Jeff, I recently read an article from last year, and I don't know how reliable these numbers are, but it did get me thinking that about 75% of men surveyed said that they had fewer than five close friends and 15% of those same men surveyed said that they had no close male friends. So This did mirror some of the conversations that I've been having with members of my congregation about how male friendships are more difficult to make and maintain today than maybe they ever have been before, especially once you enter a certain stage of life. Let's say you've just started your career, maybe you've gotten married recently, had children, and throw a two-year-long pandemic on top of all that. So would you agree that 
it's been a particularly challenging time for male friendships. And if you do agree with that, what would you say to a guy who finds it hard to make friends in their current stage of life? Where can a guy hope to find real, genuine male friendships in 2022? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And the insight that we're in a particularly difficult time, just emerging from a pandemic where personal interaction with people was greatly diminished, the normal places where where men could meet friends, make friends, cultivate friendships, those kinds of activities were greatly curtailed. And then the statistics you cite, I think, are spot on, that men don't have very many close friends, five or fewer for most of us, and with a significant number of men reporting that, that they have no close male friends. I would add to that the challenge that what men identify as friendship today is probably different from the kinds of friendships that men used to cultivate in the past. Some of the things that foster greater connection between people, social media, cell phones, all these kinds of things are good because they allow for quick connection. They allow us to to bridge distances that in the past we haven't been able to bridge as conveniently. But in a sense, they expand the distance between men. So now we may have closer or more convenient access to one another, but it's it's at a distance. It's It's over an internet connection or over a cell phone connection. And so the kinds of friendships that, that men are cultivating today are less often the kinds of in-person, deep conversation friendships where men really feel and become vulnerable with one another, are willing to to challenge one another, are willing to move beyond sort of the, the surface level friendship where they have something in common, a similar sports team that they root for, or a similar uh, sport or activity that they participate in together, or they work out together, or they work at the same industry, work at the same building. Those still provide a kind of face-to-face interaction, but but the fact that we're so dependent upon social media and virtual communication with one another makes moving beyond that surface-level friendship to the kind of deeper connection that that men need with one another makes that all the more difficult just societally. And then you add to the fact that we've lost many of these face-to-face interactions or opportunities for face-to-face interactions that were sort of the, the last thread for male friendship that many guys had. And it's little wonder that so many men find it exceedingly difficult to have male friendships, to identify other men as their friends. So if somebody is finding these struggles that you're identifying, particularly the quantity versus quality, the the desire to move to more quality relationships, where might or how might someone go about trying to find a relationship, a friendship in their life? I, I think a man starts by looking at the places where he already interacts with other men. So in the workplace, in church, in, in his you know, athletic endeavors, at the gym, there's lots of opportunity for those kinds of face-to-face interactions. And hopefully, as we're emerging from a pandemic, those things will allow maybe friendships that have cooled 
to be rekindled a little bit. So a man needs to be intentional about fostering friendships. All the other relationships in a man's life, you know, his parents, his wife, his children, his workplace comrades, all those other relationships don't require the same kind of intentionality to forge and to maintain those relationships. Now, there's a lot of intentionality that a man needs to have in being a husband, in making that relationship with his wife flourish, in being the man God calls him to be in that relationship, but it doesn't dissipate the same way that that a friendship would. And it begins in the same way that a man and a woman sort of decide to enter into this relationship, right? They begin courting one another, they date, eventually they decide to make vows to one another that this relationship will endure the rest of their lives. But the relationships that a, that a man makes with another man in order to be friends with him, there's no obligation there. There's nothing except that simple need that a man possesses to have friends. So if he doesn't do that, he's hurt by it, but there's nothing that, that will cause that relationship to come about. There's no sort of external pressures that will push a man into friendships. Like there are, you know, uh, between a man and, and his children, that relationship is there. Um, how he invests in it and what he does within that relationship determine how it flourishes and what, what the benefits are for his children into the future. But it doesn't just, it doesn't just evaporate. It can't go away if a man doesn't invest himself in it, in the same way that, that friendships. So it, it has to begin with an intentional making time to be with other men. And I would say in the presence, in the physical presence of other men. So not having a conversation over a video game feed, not having messages back and forth on Facebook or, or commenting on one another's pictures on Instagram or something like that. There has to be more than that. There has to be a time of two or three or however many men coming together in person. C.S. Lewis is very helpful on distinguishing between different types of love, four different types of love, four different Greek words for love, and the one that, that he says friendships between men fit into, really all kinds of friendships fit into, is philia, and the difference between philia and the other kinds of loves is that philia is a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder kind of love. Men learn who one another are by this side-by-side -side working towards a common goal. This is where friendship begins. So they play on the same sports team. They have the same adversary, right? The same goal. They're moving literally towards, towards a common goal, scoring points. Or they work in the same office building or on the same assembly line, building widgets where they have a common goal, you know, produce good quality widgets, and they have a common adversary, be it the, the competitor across town, these kinds of things, a common goal, a common adversary, a common endeavor that, that men share is sort of how this friendship begins. So the first thing a man has to do is he has to get in the presence of other men.
there's a, a beauty to the church, for instance, that there's already people being brought together in the same place who, on the surface, might not have anything in common, right? You've got older men alongside younger men. You've got grandfathers alongside fathers. You've got people from different socioeconomic strata. You've got people from different races, from different cultures, all brought together in the commonality of the Lord's Church. And so you have a place where that first step towards friendship is already fostered by the gathering of God's people around the Lord's Word and sacraments. So church is, an, is a very easy place for friendships to begin. And if you just think about the, the nature of what we're doing at church, when we all come together and we, we confess our sins and we acknowledge our own inability to be our Savior, it almost begins to take that next step in friendship where men can begin to be vulnerable with one another, to share with one another their, their strengths and their weaknesses, to encourage one another and to challenge one another. I mean, a lot of that is sort of just woven into the fabric of what God's people do when they come together. We confess our sin, we hear of our common Savior, we hear of our common foe, and we are put together around the Lord's altar, literally shoulder to shoulder, moving towards the same goal, both in the end, the, the telos, the, the goal of our own resurrection together and eternal life on the day of our Lord's return, but also towards the temporary goal, the temporary telos of, of growing together in our sanctification, of being more the men that God has called us to be. I mean, the church is just a fertile field for men to, to find these kinds of relationships. I don't think we should be in the business of sort of pandering to guys with, you know, Father's Day giveaways and those kinds of things. But I do think allowing the men who gather together on a Sunday morning to have other opportunities to fellowship with one another in the community of the congregation helps build these kinds of friendships as well. So church is one place, but I think an athletic endeavor is another kind of place. The gym is another place where you can find men who have a, a similar adversary and a similar goal, right? The adversary being the old flesh that doesn't like cardio or doesn't like lifting weights, um, and the goal being improving ourselves for the sake of those that we're called to serve. You mentioned the importance of place as a place to build genuine male friendships. I want to expand a little bit on the idea that you're talking about here, the standing side to side with a common goal or a common endeavor. Uh, C.S. Lewis in, in his book, The Four Loves, which you've referenced, talks about what separates male friendships, male to male friendships from every other friendship is that they are always tending to be about something. And this seems like something that's come up frequently in, in your describing what friendship between men actually is. When we say that friendship is about something, is this where we get the idea where my wife will call a friend and say, hey, would you like to come over? And there's no questions after that. They'll often say yes, and they'll come over and they'll talk and they'll spend time together and they'll do whatever it is that the women do when I'm not around. But if I were to ask one of my male friends to come over or if they wanted to talk, the question that I would probably get would be, well, for what or about what? And when we get together, it's usually surrounding some sort of activity 
there's some sort of purpose behind our gathering. Not that there always is, but there tends to be like, hey, let's go play a round of golf. Let's play some cards. Let's watch the game. Let's dig a hole, whatever the case may be. There's this shared experience that we have. And then the friendship continues in that what we do in our relationship is we talk about and reflect on and even rib each other about potentially those shared experiences that we have. So do you find that also to be true that when you're trying to foster a male friendship, it's helpful to understand that there is this thing that it must be about in order to make them be able to develop and thrive? Yeah. And even if you think about the way that that Lewis fostered his friendships in in the group of the Inklings, they were they were writers who came together and read one another's writing, criticized one another's writing, challenged one another as writers. But it wasn't really the writing that was ever the basis for their friendship, because those kinds of conversations just about the the content of the stories or the poems or whatever that they were writing would eventually become much bigger sort of philosophical conversations about theology and and life and anthropology. And so you're right that there there has to be something that that brings men together. Men don't just get together in order to to have a conversation. They might get together to build a fence or to repair a sidewalk or to fix the the plumbing in the kitchen or to do a workout or any of a number of things. And then in the course of that conversation, it sort of moves from the superficial into when when men learn that that they can that they're endeavoring towards a common goal together, there becomes kind of this this moment of surprise where in the conversation they they realize there's more that they're journeying towards together. They have more in common than just hanging stringers for a fence that they also have in common you know, their, their families and, and their struggles to be good husbands or to be attentive fathers. There's sort of a, a moment where the conversation moves beyond whatever superficial thing has brought them together, the thing that they are about. And they realize that they're really about much more than just building or fixing or working. They're really about working on themselves as men and working on their communities, working on their households. Um, that's when the conversation shifts from sort of the superficial, introductory kind of stuff into the real meaningful kind of stuff. Um, and that's when the friendship begins to change from that sort of first level friendship into those enduring kinds of friendships. Lewis describes that moment of that you too, I thought I was the only one kind yeah. of discovery that when, you know, I want somebody, I want to find somebody who likes that indie band that nobody has heard of except for me. And you discover that somebody else likes that band and there's that connection there that provides the space for a friendship to flourish. I remember there was a, an acquaintance of mine that became a friend based on a conversation that we were having. And we discovered that we both liked this terrible 80s movie based on the board game Clue starring Tim Curry. And that all of a sudden was like, oh, you too? And then from that point on, we're quoting this, really, this movie that bombed to each other for the rest of our friendship. And that has allowed this, this third thing that a friendship could be about. And then, like you said, it expands certainly beyond that. But those things that male friendships are about 
create companionship and then from that companionship can grow a genuine friendship, which is why I suppose you can't force a friendship either. For example, if your son was struggling to make friends at school, you can't force all the other boys to just like him. That's not going to work. In fact, that would probably make things just worse. Instead, you you have to find things to cultivate, interests to cultivate, spaces to gather together. You mentioned a sports team or a club or or some kind of other extracurricular activity. Church is certainly a great meeting place where you can interact with other people. Find those things that he might be interested in to help him connect with others to find that space so that they can share interests and then build friendships from that. We moved from Northern Illinois to Northeastern Arkansas. And culturally, we were very different. We found out when we moved here, the men in my church were into outdoorsy things. They were into hunting and being hands-on tools and trucks and things like that. And my, my, I'm more into arts like music and books and nerdy theology, things like that. And so when we got here, we found out we were very different. And you kind of feel that at first. And in the social gatherings, I'm standing in the circle of men just kind of listening. And it wasn't until went hunting a few times with the guys. I played basketball with a few of the guys. Instead of watching my sports teams like the Patriots and the Celtics, I started watching the Razorback games that they wanted to watch. And sure enough, having that thing that our conversation and our space and our time could be about became a launching point for where we I could just feel the bonds starting to build and grow. And so perhaps that's another avenue for those who are struggling with finding friends. You know, if this is where male friendship is born out of these shared interests, then maybe it could be the suggestion that if you're lacking that, maybe it's time to develop or find some kind of hobbies or interests or become, I mean, even more cultured. I mean, culture has a bad connotation sometimes, but to be cultured, to engage in some of the things, the first article gifts that God gives us to enjoy life in, that we can connect with one another. Would you say that that's probably some good advice as well? Yeah. And I think your own illustration about moving to, to Arkansas shows a way that that happens without necessarily having two men or, or a group of men already interested in the same thing. If one of them is learning from another or if they're all learning the same activity together, um, or maybe there's you know one expert teaching several other guys how to hunt, for instance, that builds a kind of camaraderie between the men as they all are growing together. You know, one one may be the expert in hunting, but another may be the expert in in some other dimension of culture in music playing or listening to music. There's a bit of a, a give and take there too. So they can begin in, in a shared activity like that, and then they move into that more enduring quality. And then there's sort of an opportunity to expand those interests, to let one other member of the group teach the rest of the group something that he knows more intimately and more thoroughly than they do. It sort of moves in and out. This is the, the nature of a man's friendship. It doesn't, doesn't always stay at that very deep level. Sometimes it returns back to that superficial level. As all those superficial things and experiences together accumulate, what they're still building that, that deeper bond with one another and experiencing it in all these, in all these other avenues. They're going to a, a sporting event together, but what the conversations that they've had while they were learning to make sausage together and they were challenging one another on, on Bible verses the week before or, you know, arguing about politics 
uh, a couple weeks before that, those things carry them into those sort of superficial experiences as well. And then they, in turn, lead them back to those deeper conversations as well. We've talked a little bit about the meeting places and the space for men to get together. You've talked a little bit about the interests and hobbies and cultivating those things and finding a shared third thing for your friendship to be about. I want to address the other maybe ingredient that we might be missing. The question that I asked our men's group about male friendships, and they said that they were having a hard time. There was a generational gap Mm. in that the older generation, they said that they did not find it difficult to make and maintain male friendships. But everybody who was my age, these are people who had just entered into the workforce within the last 10 years or had gotten married and had children within the last 10 years, they said that they did find it much more difficult. And the thing that I think may have changed, and you can correct me if you think there's more to this, is the fact that the other ingredient of this, and you've mentioned intentionality, part of the intentionality is time, is making time. So if all your life is consisting of is a continual hamster wheel, you work 90 hours a week, you come home, you do your best you can as a father, as a husband, or you just come home and lay on your couch and watch whatever is streaming on TV, and then you wake up and do that again and again and again, that's going to limit your opportunities to be able to find male spaces and also to cultivate interests and hobbies where you can find connections with other people to immerse yourself in a task or a goal. So this goes back to the time management thing. Finding balance in life is a constant struggle for men, particularly men who are adults who enter into marriage and are blessed with children. Is part of finding the balance in life also making sure that you're creating time so that you can go to those spaces that you're talking about. And even when you're not in those particular spaces, on your own, cultivating these interests that you have, the things that are unique to you, indulging in, in a positive way, the things that you find interesting. Would you say that that's another ingredient to solving the problem of a lack of male-to-male companionship? Yeah, I think I think you're right, especially as men get married, start families, are working to establish their careers or establish themselves within an industry. There are a lot of pulls on a man's time, and it's easy to sort of pit those things against each other. Well, if I go hang out with some guys tonight, I miss this time with my family. Or if I go with my friends on a hunting trip this weekend. And so at some level, that's, it's true. There, there is some trade-off. But we have to understand that, that friendships for men are valuable not just for the friendships, but for the, the man that they help shape him into. Lots of people have, have talked about this sort of epidemic of male loneliness And I think you're right that it afflicts people in our generation and in our stage of life in a a way maybe that it hasn't in the past or that that we have not grappled with in the past, that all of a sudden there are new demands on a man. And so loneliness is a distinct problem for men um, and one that we're, we're dealing with in new kinds of ways. But for a man to have these friendships, it's not really an either or, not either he will have friends or he will be a good 
husband. Either he will have friends or he will be invested in, in the lives of his children. Because good friendships with good men will return a man back to his marriage a stronger, more capable, competent husband than he was before he went with his friends. Good friends will return a man back to the tribe of his children, a better father, more equipped to handle the the ups and downs of family life. We're not picking one or the other unless the friendships that a man finds himself in actually hurt those other relationships. So if he's gathered with other men and what they do is they all just complain about their wives and children, that won't return him to his family stronger and better prepared to be a husband and a father. But if he's gathering with other men and they're talking about the challenges of, of staying patient with, with your children, or they're engaged about something they learned about being a, a good father from a podcast or a book or something in scripture that they read. And then a man, you know, he wrestles with those things with his friends and he brings them back to his family and he's slightly better or he has just a, a little bit better insight into his own family dynamic because he's heard from these other men. So good friendships, friendships with, with other men striving to live as good husbands, as good citizens, as good fathers, as good children of their parents and brothers to their siblings, are not at odds with the other demands on a man's life, that he be a good worker, that he establish himself in a career, that he be a good father, that he be a good husband. They actually enhance those things. So, but there is a time balance, and there are only 24 hours in a day, and it's possible to spend too much time with friends that you are neglecting your family, or it's possible to spend too much time with your family that your friendships begin to to sort of die out. You lose contact and connection with those guys. And there's not a, you know, a magic formula, except to know that, that time spent with other men endeavoring to be good men will enrich a man's service towards his wife, his children, his community. We have all seen the cliched old sitcoms of the man who is always trying to get away from his wife and his loud, noisy children in order to go be with his guys. And you've mentioned the unhealthy kind of male companionship and friendship where all they do is just whine about their wives and their kids. But the healthy way of doing this and what friendship actually does is it's the whole Proverbs 27 idea. Iron does sharpen iron and it makes us more into who we were created to be. And that actually enhances our vocations as husbands and as fathers. And we encourage one another in those things. Those groomsmen who are standing up by you at your wedding, they're not there to just be your buddies to when you're not with your wife, you're hanging with us. It's we're standing up here to hold you accountable to the promises that you're making to God and to your wife right now. And what a great responsibility and great friend it is to have to have somebody who's willing to do that. And maybe this is where the women who might be listening to this, I think maybe in our current day and age, and I might be wrong about this, but I do think that women find encouragement to find female spaces and make time for other women. I think culture has seen the value in women supporting one another and being with each other and uplifting one another and kind of showing the solidarity. I don't know that we get the same kind of encouragement from 
culture for men to find those spaces. And in fact, sometimes those male only spaces get villainized and mocked where when men get together, they're either goofing off or being lazy or doing something that they shouldn't be doing and, you know, somehow creating more problems with toxicity of masculinity, the things like that, when really it would benefit all of us if we saw that male spaces uh, where men can grow as men, as we were intended to be and serve, it actually benefits the whole. So this brings me into another observation that I've made, which is I hear a lot of people say that they don't necessarily need friendship because they have those those things that friendship provides they get in other places. And one of the things I've also heard a lot of is that when married men uh, say that I've married my best friend, so I don't really have time for male friendship, nor do I need it because my wife is kind of my confidant. She's the one who I do everything with. She's the one who I spend all of my leisure time with. And while I can understand the sentiment, and it's a very good thing, and in a lot of ways, my wife is I mean, closer to my wife than any other person in the world. Saying that you're best friends with your wife, I have this experience where when Steph and I got married, or I guess just before we got married, we did everything together. And I would go and watch movies with her that I did not really want to watch, but I watched them with her because I wanted her to marry me. And she, (laughs) God bless her, she was not a sports fan at all, was not raised in a sports family, but she became a Patriots fan for me, even though she did not know the first thing about sports. She didn't know any of the rules, but she would wear Patriots stuff and watch games with me. And then I remember the first Sunday after we got married, we got home from church I turned on the TV because we watch football on Sunday afternoons. And she sat there all afternoon and watched football with me. The next Sunday, same thing. We went to church. We got home, turned on the TV, and she goes, oh, um, are we doing this again? <laughs> and I said, I said, well, yeah, this is what we do. And, and she kind of goes, well, I think we need to talk because I don't really like sitting and watching football all day. And so it's this, it's this thing where, look, if you have things in common with your wife, like you like the same kind of music and you like the same shows and you like to do the same activities, that is wonderful. But I almost think it's not only okay, but sometimes really good if you have different interests. Because you know what's better for me than holding my wife hostage, making her listen to music that I like and watching shows that I like? It's doing it with people who I know appreciate it in the same way and sharing that joy that makes life more fulfilling, that makes me be able to follow my interests in a more genuine way than forcing somebody else to do it who, you know, I don't want to do that to my poor wife. And she doesn't want to fake interest for the rest of our lives. God bless us. I hope we have many, many more together that she doesn't want to have to do that kind of thing either. And that's where you know, friend and spouse is not necessarily interchangeable. The vocations are different. There's all kinds of other wonderful things I get to share with my wife that I don't share with anybody else. But friends are unique in that you can have that shared passion for things that you really don't need to make your spouse responsible for also having to be interested in. It brings a uniqueness to you that makes you more of who you are. And like you said, come back to appreciate more the vocation of husband and wife instead of being frustrated that you can't fit that square peg in a round hole sometimes to make your spouse your best friend when it comes to all of the interests and and things that you have. Do you think there's some truth to that too? Yeah. And think about the the difference in, in a calling between a husband and a wife. So, you know, the way Paul talks in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands, 
let the wife see that, that she respects her husband. That's very different from a friendship among equals. So you referenced Proverbs 27 earlier, uh, the way iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I think, I think it would be unfair of a man to put his wife in the position of, of being the friend called to sharpen him. I mean, that happens sometimes in a relationship, in any kind of relationship. Um, she has to say, this isn't serving our family well. This way of talking to me is not meeting my needs. It, you're not hearing what I'm saying. Those kinds of conversations happen. But where a man really grows as a husband is in conversation with other husbands, is in those friendships with others where, where the other man is not called to submit to him and doesn't owe him the respect that a wife owes her husband, and he can challenge him a lot more directly and a lot more pointedly, and it doesn't, it doesn't hurt him in the same way, right? He doesn't hear it as criticism from his wife. Um, he hears it as, as a challenge from his friend, who's there of his own volition, right? And not sort of bound together in this friendship by vows, He'll hear that in a much more healthy, constructive way from a, a man who is his friend than he will from a woman who is his wife. The same is true of relationships in the workplace, for instance, right? There's, there's a hierarchy to the workplace where if a boss tells you to do something differently, that's, that's very different from a friend telling you, you should do this differently, or you should consider this other perspective, or you should stop doing this thing that's alienating people around you, whatever, whatever it is. He'll receive that correction much more helpfully and positively from a friend than he would from an employer or from a, a subordinate in, within the hierarchy of the workplace or, or from his children, right? Um, children shouldn't, shouldn't have to tell their fathers how to be better fathers. That happens sometimes, but not in an intentional, like, let's sit down and talk about how you could be a better father to me. Because um, they just don't have that kind of experience that another man with children or a man whose children are grown will have. And, and he won't hear it in the same way. He'll hear it as criticism It'll hurt his feelings, whereas with another man, feelings are sort of off the table because he's the other. The friend is only invested in seeing the man flourish in his vocations. This brings me to something that you mention in your book, which includes the tagline, the quest for masculinity, which I think implies that masculinity is somewhat harder to come by than it used to be. So in adolescence, Making friends is much more simple because we have the opportunities, like you said, the, the spaces like school and sports and clubs and et cetera, where we naturally are able to group ourselves according to our interests. But adolescence is also an important and interesting time in our lives because this is where we're first gaining independence from our families. And for a time, your friends almost become like your family. And so it's this kind of liberating way that we we get to build maturity and they have this influence on us that's greater than than possibly any other time in our lives where I'm having my opinions and and my thoughts formed and like you said challenged by friends that hits you differently than when your parents especially in adolescence tell you what's right and wrong when your friends during adolescence do it hits you differently and it has this weight to it and this can be a good thing it can be a healthy thing and then later of course on the other side of this when you see your children going through it you witness the same 
thing happening. And so this period of time has a huge influence on who we become. So assuming all that all that is true, my guess as to what part of the need for the quest of masculinity to actually take place, and this is how it ties into friendship, is when you don't have friendships, you don't get the opportunity to mature through that experience of gaining that healthy independence and that forming through friends who don't have the same boundaries as some of those other relationships do. And therefore, you're missing out on an important stage of male development. We've all seen the movie Sandlot or had neighborhood experiences where the boys go hang out and play together and you kind of learn the boy code. And that includes a lot of valuable lessons for us to take into life where those boys are able to kind of have their own way of dealing with conflict and issues and learning from one another and even toughness and bravery and things like that. Do you think that the adolescence stage of our lives can teach us a little bit about where we are as far as masculinity and friendship and the relationship between the two today? I think it can if we add another dimension to your illustration, that the boy learning to play baseball in the sandlot, he's not only learning from his friends, but he's taking the things that he's learned from his father and the, the boundaries that his father has established for him and the picture of masculinity that he's received from his father. And then he's taking those into the company of his peers and he's trying them out. He's testing their veracity in a sense. And then he takes the things that he learns from his friends and he returns home to his father and he sort of, he tries them out there. So there's kind of a, a balance between those things where he's learning both from his peers and also from his mentors, his father, grandfather, other older men in his life, and then trying each of those things out in, in those different arenas. So he's learning his independence and he's forging the image of himself as a man, but he's bearing the image of his father who's been formative for him, hopefully the whole time. So what does that mean for us in different stages of life? I think it means exactly the same thing, that while having friends with peers is great, it's also not the only place where we learn what it means to be a man. And we also learn what it means to live in this fraternity of men from the men who have preceded us, who are farther along in this quest than we are. And they teach us by example, they instruct us both by means of their successes, but often, more often, by means of their failures. And then we take that wisdom and those icons of masculinity and, and we try them out in, in our peer groups. And we let, we let our peers sharpen us and, and discipline us. We let that be the sort of arena where, where we try ourselves as men. And then we sort of come back again to our mentors, those more adept in masculinity than we are. Because none of us is ever really there. It's always just a lifelong quest. And not any man that you'll ever meet has ever attained the ideal. The ideal for what real masculinity is comes from Jesus. And so even our mentors are being shaped and being formed in what true biblical sacrificial masculinity looks like. Everyone is being instructed 
everyone is is learning from from another man somewhere and we're trying these things out with our peers and then we're we're trying them out in our vocations as husbands as fathers so i think adolescence pr- provides a really helpful sort of easier to understand picture of what it means to learn to mature from boy to man that really we don't ever move beyond. Though our peer group gets older and our mentors get older, and then the older we get, we eventually become mentors to younger men as well. We've never really arrived. We're never at the place where we can finally uh, let off the gas and say, now I'm there. Now I'm a good man. I don't need anyone else's catechesis and masculinity anymore. I don't need my peers to sharpen me anymore. I've arrived. So the picture of, of growing from boy to man in adolescence really applies to us our whole lives long. Is part of the other challenge that we face, generationally speaking, as things continue to change exponentially as far as technology and what's accepted in culture and ideas about male relationships and really being relational with each other in general. You know, C.S. Lewis has this part of his book, The Four Loves, where he talks about how friendship is devalued because it's one of the few kinds of relationships that is not very efficient, nor is it productive in that it doesn't produce anything in the same way that other relationships do. A lot of our busy rush, fast-paced, always connected kind of world that we live in now is part of the problem that we don't value friendship because we're not really willing to do anything that's not utilitarian, that we look at things that if they're not productive for us, then they must not be worth doing. And the idea of being like a workaholic all the time, even in your leisure time, it has to give you some sort of value or produce something. Otherwise, it's kind of frowned upon. That certainly is is a challenge to cultivating good friendships. And yet there is a sense in which we're we're not really as workaholic as we often tell ourselves that we are. Strangely, so many people have have hours a day to watch television. You know, nothing wrong with television. Maybe hours a day of it is excessive, but therein would be time to invest in a friendship. Or we have, you know, we have time for other leisure activities, reading a book, exercising. All of these things have have their own individual payoff. But I think probably what what scares us away from male friendship is just the work involved in cultivating and maintaining those friendships and the risk of, well, the risk of being known to other men. So I don't disagree with Lewis or with your idea that, that friendship's not we don't value friendship because it doesn't seem productive. Although I do think friendship is truly productive. The product that it's working on is ourselves. My friends make me a better man, and hopefully my friendship with them makes them better men as well. But it, it's really the the work of knowing other men and being known by other men that I think scares most men away from the task. It's sort of like, you know, what scares people away from private confession? If someone, if someone like my pastor knew all the ugliness of my life, or if, if I said those things aloud in the chancel of the church and God could hear them, what would change about his opinion of me? 
Or how would my pastor, as God's servant, look at me differently then? And there's there's kind of that fear in cultivating male relationships that I that I think men prefer to keep things at at the very superficial level. So I, I think yes, there's there's some of that, but but also there's there's that risk of if I expose myself, who I truly am, to another man, will he still like me? Will I be acceptable to him or to them? What happens to a man who lives without any male friends and decides to not be known and to not take that risk versus someone who allows himself to be vulnerable and enter into these relationships and invest in what God has given us in the gift of, of male friendship and companionship? I think two things will happen to him. One, he'll be lonely. He's created for that kind of love for another man and love from another man, that kind of philia that's not, not an erotic kind of love, not a familial kind of love, but the love of friends. He needs that. Um, it's part of what he's designed for, to give and to receive. And then I think it's also going to hurt him in his other relationships as well. If he's not in the presence of others who are struggling to, to be better husbands, fathers, brothers, sons, workers, citizens, neighbors, um, then, then his growth as a man in those arenas will be, will be stunted as well. He won't have anyone to challenge him. He'll just be stunted in, the, in his growth. I think you talking about the need and the desire for friendship being programmed into us and kind of wired, hardwired into creation, you can see this in the phenomenon that I typically see, which is where when large groups of people get together, there is this thing that happens. There's nobody at the door who tells you, hey, you men go this way and you women go this way. But what typically happens is there's one room in the house where all the women wind up gathering. Unless it's a singles party where the idea is to kind of intermingle with one another and find a partner, what happens is the women all go to their one space and they talk and the men all end up in the garage or in the basement or on the porch. And it just kind of naturally takes place. There's almost like this design where we have this need and desire to be with one another and among one another. And I do think that's important to mention that it is kind of part of the way that we were created. And it does serve that function to fill out what God has created us to be, even in those other vocations that we have. Another challenge that I think we face with male friendships includes the fact, and we've mentioned this, that male friendships often are villainized and turned into a, a bit of a parody. And we've lost a lot of those male-only spaces. And we talk about the idea of how learning how to be a man from generations that come before us are almost like this outdated thing because we're trying to, in a lot of ways, erase the distinctions between the sexes. That creates a whole new level of confusion. How is it that we can navigate through knowing and understanding the differences that we can better become who we've been called to be without falling into the trap of thinking that, well, everything needs to be open to everybody all the time. Why would having these male spaces be good, not just for the individual, which we've mentioned, to combat loneliness and other challenges, but for society in general to continue to have these places where male companionship and, and therefore friendship can develop? Well, because masculinity is, is good for society. It's good for culture. It's good for families. It's good for the state to have 
good men, men who, who know what Scripture calls them to be, and who are endeavoring to live according to God's design for masculinity, is really good for society. So masculinity, I've said before, if you distill it down to its essence, is about sacrifice. And so when men get together and challenge one another to be more sacrificial, everyone benefits. All society benefits from that. It's why men go to war. It's why men do courageous, heroic things like rescuing people from burning buildings or putting their lives on the line as police officers, because the calling to sacrifice is the biblical idea of masculinity, men challenging one another, busting each other's chops, encouraging one another, praying for one another, makes men better on the whole. And so if they don't have that, then the real villainy is not, is not that men get together and learn how to, you know, be worse together. The greater villainy is that there's nothing to call a man to this high, holy, sacrificial masculinity that, that he's given. We face a lot of confusion about male and female today, and a challenge that has come along with that is the fact that, and you mentioned this, that when two men find an intimate friendship, that a lot of times nowadays that gets conflated with a romantic relationship, that that friendship love is actually interpreted as some sort of, it must be some sort of repressed or hidden romantic feeling that you have. And so when two men are sitting together at dinner, now the assumption is that they are a romantic couple instead of two friends. And We've even gone back to people in in history, and we've said, well, these friendships must have been some sort of romantic relationship, and the Bible is even fallen to some of these accusations as the relationship between David and Jonathan, people have started to make accusations and teach that that was a romantic relationship instead of a friendship. Living in a hypersexualized culture, it becomes almost like our first reaction to these things. I've seen it myself. I spent uh, about a month in Tanzania and we get off the plane, we get on a bus, we go to the village that we're going to be staying at. And the bishop there who was going to be hosting us with his church, he was about to show us where we were going to stay while we were with them. And he took me by the hand and we began to walk. And the first 15 yards of that walk, I am incredibly uncomfortable with it. And I'm thinking, this is really strange. And then by like the 20th yard of that walk, I start to consider the fact that well, wait, why would I think that this is strange? Why is this strange to me? What have I been indoctrinated with and, and learned through the world that I live in that makes it so that this is something that I can't be comfortable with? And he is a masculine man, and he is a wise man, and he is a brave man, and he is a godly man. And so we have this extra challenge of the culture that we live in. Can you speak to this problem of conflating all of these relationships and how it is that we can be comfortable. The word intimate having it really just means closeness. So to not be afraid of what you're talking about and instead of always being defensive that we have to defend these close intimate relationships with each other. Yeah, when we, when we flatten love down to sex, we take all the, all the nuance of the different types of love out of it 
right? I mean, the creed of culture, love is love. When people say that, what do they mean? They mean anyone should be able to have sex with, with anyone else. It just completely flattens love into sex. And so two men loving each other must eventually become an erotic relationship. But if we understand that there are different kinds of love and each one is moving towards a different goal, then the love of eros, the love between a husband and a wife, has a much different goal than the philia love between two men. The love between men is not leading towards anything erotic. It is leading towards a closeness between them. It is leading towards a bond between the two of them, an intimacy between the two of them that doesn't have as its final culmination anything erotic. That's in a, a completely different lane. The goal between two men is love and closeness, and you know that can entail like hand-holding in, in different cultures. It can entail arms around one another. It can entail a hug that's a, a physical closeness that, that need not be erotic. That's not where they're going. What they're going towards is building one another up as men, upholding one another, encouraging one another, defending one another. That's, that's where that relationship, that love between men is heading. But you're right, in a hypersexualized world, all love gets reduced to lust, and lust has as its goal some kind of erotic fulfillment that's just not, not ever designed to be part of the relationship between men. Yeah, it also seems that we are depriving ourselves of a joy that God has given us to experience in yes. these relationships. And that's yes. just an unfortunate part of all of this is that, you know, the thing about friendship not necessarily having to produce anything is because it is this free thing. You had mentioned that you can earlier that you can pick it up and you can put it down and you can pick back up with an old friend and you can you can drift away from a friend and it's okay. There's not that obligation like there is with other relationships. It just makes life more fulfilling. And life is intended, I mean, the Lord wants us to enjoy the creation that he's made for us and to not be able to fully embrace male friendship like it has been given to us and like we're wired to even have. And what makes the rest of life even better for us and our other vocations is really to deprive ourselves. It's like you've said, it's to deprive our families. It's to deprive society. Jeff, finally... I want to end with this. This is a life-affirming podcast. It's called Friends for Life. And a lot of what is discussed here is how these different walks of life and relationships and, and challenges ultimately fit into God's good and gracious will. And C.S. Lewis, you know, we'll reference him again. He says that there's a cosmic aspect to all this, and he calls God the, the secret master of ceremonies. We think of God bringing husband and wife together all the time. Lewis makes the argument that he's also bringing men together for his purposes as well to reveal beauty in the world and within each other and to be known, as you said. So how can we entrust our friendships as we entrust every other good gift that we have in life to our Lord so that they can not only serve us, but ultimately serve God's kingdom and his glory? Well, I think what we've been sort of hinting at throughout this whole conversation is that the goal of friendships is to make men better and good men have a way of being defenders of truth and beauty and goodness in creation. And so when God brings two men together, as they grow together, as they go 
back from that friendship out into the other vocations that God has put them into, what they have received in that friendship will bear fruit in all their other callings as well. They will be kinds of stewards of truth and beauty and goodness. And then they'll bring those things back to their friendships with men, and they'll ask those kinds of questions that that men can only ask of other men, like, what is truth and what is beauty and, and what is good? And then they'll take what they learn and the ways that they're challenged with other men, and they'll go back again into their vocations, and they'll continue to be stewards of beauty and truth and goodness. Um, And so it's this never-ending cycle where a good friendship equips a man in, in all the other areas of his life where God has called him to serve, and, and all of that is good for the church, is good for families, is good for society, and all of that is in service to the Creator, who has put man into all these various relationships. It definitely seems like then one of the great reservoirs for real true friendship, you're talking about these deeper meanings and these searchings for truth and what is right and what is good in the world, then boy, you know, Christian friendships, that unity of faith that we have, when you share the same Lord and you share the same view of life and eternity and goodness and and God and our relationship with him, it sure seems like that just, you know, you are called to love everybody the way that Christ is willing to die for all. You are called to die for all, but you mentioned earlier, you only have so many friends that you can have in the true sense of the word that we're talking about. And so to see that when you already have those things in common, those deep things, uh, the searching for truth with a brother in Christ, that sure seems like a good place to look. And so I would also encourage people, you know, if you if you're listening to this, start a men's group. It doesn't have to be official in your church. Create a space to get together with the other Christian men generation to generation uh, so that they can learn from one another, as you mentioned, uh, the value of learning from other generations and becoming men, that quest that we're all on together, but also to enjoy each other and to be formed the way that God has created us to be formed. Definitely seems like there are challenges, but being intentional about making time for friendships, finding space for friendships, finding things that interest you, becoming cultured, all the things that we've talked about, and certainly growing in your faith, which unifies us with all believers. These are all avenues towards healthy male-to-male friendships, even in a time where they seem to be lacking and harder to find. And so it is a good goal, I would argue, and I think you'd agree with me, Pastor Hammer, that uh, it's a good endeavor to seek out male friendship because these are gifts. It's not good for man to be alone. You mention in your book that that is often quoted, but can also apply to the fact that man not only needs a helper, but he needs a companion. He needs companions. And this brings joy and pleasure to life that is a gift from God. So if you want to learn more about some of the things we've been talking about today, I can't recommend enough uh, Reverend Hemmer's book, Man Up, The Quest for Masculinity. It's amazing that a book that is written about such a hot topic a controversial topic in our culture and a ever-changing topic has actually become more relevant as time has gone on as opposed to less. So a really, really well-written book that informs a lot of the questions that we might have in the church about some of the things that have come up in our culture. So I certainly recommend that. And also we've 
referenced it, so we might as well recommend it. C.S. Lewis's classic book, The Four Loves, particularly the section on filia friendship. I want to thank you listeners for joining us today. I want to thank my wife, Steph, for allowing me to host this episode. And of course, I want to thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for taking some of your time to join us and giving us some of your wisdom. I want to offer blessings, of course, to your family, and we will pray for a healthy mama and healthy baby. And again, thanks for sharing with us and for all that you do for our church body. Thank you, Kirk. It's been a a great conversation. I pray that uh, all the listeners of the podcast are edified. Good times. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. New episodes drop twice each month. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. 